Thanks for joining me today. This is Riley Veracek, and this is my podcast, The Political Lighthouse. Welcome back to another episode of The Political Lighthouse. Um, This is episode four now. Kind of crazy to think that I'm on episode four, and it's been quite a while. So I apologize about that, but let's get into it. So today I am going to be talking mostly about critical race theory um, and and mostly my experiences so far with that. I'm about a little over six weeks into it now, um, and there honestly has been a lot to not only comprehend, but a lot that I disagree with as well. Um, so... Each week, we write reflections um, that are due every Friday of the week, and it's just kind of to reflect on the week, um, everything that we went over, that we talked about, um, just putting together all of our our thoughts about what we, we talked about during that week. Um, so I am just going to kind of be going through a lot of my my reflection stuff and just kind of highlighting things, presenting my thoughts, stuff like that. Um, yeah. So let's get into it. So for the first couple weeks or well, not couple first, like six weeks now we've been reading and going through a book called stamped racism, anti-racism and you it's written by Jason Reynolds and, um, even, Ibram Kendi. Uh, Ibram Kendi was or is the author of a couple other books um, stamped from the beginning and um, how to be an anti-racist are are two of them. But I want to just, you know, take a, a little bit of time here at the beginning to talk through the book and and just kind of my thoughts on those. And, and those will also be kind of scattered throughout the throughout the episode as well. So the the book starts with an introduction piece, um, which is written by Ibram Kendi, who wrote the original book Stamped from the Beginning. He tells us that the book we're getting into is is a remix of his book, but that this book is about the history. He uses the word real history of racist ideas and anti-racist ideas, which is uh a new woke word, I guess, for um, fighting racist ideas because apparently assimilation and, and stuff like that um, is is racist now too. Um, but yeah, he talks about how these these ideas came to be. According to Kendi, racist ideas cause people to look at an innocent black face and see a criminal. Not my words, but his. And with the way he chooses his words, it's almost like he's making you feel as though if you disagree with him, even just slightly, that you're in the wrong. Uh, he uses his tone really throughout his whole introduction. Um, he goes on to to make a statement that black males are 21 times more likely to be killed than white males. However, a study at pub- published by Harvard Law School stated that Black males are only about 
1.23 times more likely to be killed by police than white males. Now, of course, that's, that's still not good, but it's nowhere near the 21 times that Kendi exclaimed. He also goes on to say that African-Americans are five times more likely to be incarcerated than whites. Now, continuing on to say that they make up around 40% of the incarcerated population, despite being only 13% of the U.S. population. Now, it might just be me. Could be, honestly. But I'm pretty sure that cops don't just go around and saying, hey, look, there's there's a black dude like walking down the sidewalk. Let's let's throw him in prison. No, of course there are bad cops and and there are bad judges, but it's not like every single one of them is out to incarcerate only black people. And all of the problems that are brought up in the book are simply blamed on race. There's there's they see it as if there's no other explanation for problems and and bad things in America. It's it's only because of racism. Um and that's not only in in the book, but that's the whole critical race theory class. Um any problem that arises between white people and any other race is is due to skin color and racism. It's because white people are racist. Um, so I'm going to move over now to uh, kind of making my way through these reflections. Um, I highlighted some stuff throughout all of them that I wanted to kind of bring forth, talk about on here. Um, if you're ever interested in, in seeing my reflections and, and reading through the full extent of what I have in my reflections, again, as always, and as with everything, feel free to reach out to me. I'm open to having conversations and stuff like that. Um, so here, let's let's see. So here I have highlighted, um, and this was actually something that I agree with and I, and I appreciated that they said, uh, this is from my second reflection. It says, not one single person can give us the full answer, that we can't figure out everything on our own. And I think it's important to remember that because if we do, we can keep a respectful and open conversation. Um, yeah, again, this came in in my second reflection, which would have been our second week of class, our, our first full week. And it was actually nice to hear people say that. Uh, oftentimes, um, especially with the left, we, we hear that they're the only ones who have the answer. Um, conservatives are bad, stuff like that. So it was nice to hear that in this super liberal class that they're admitting that not one single person has the full answer that it, it takes us coming together. Now, obviously that's going to, it's going to look different. Um, especially because they, they think that their answer, even, even though they say that not one single person can give us the full answer, they still believe that their answer is the only right answer. Um, in my mind, I see it as when they say that it's not one single person, they're just, they just want to find, a bunch more liberals who are like them that they know that they they can find commonalities between uh, if that makes sense um but you know i i took it how i wanted to and that's what i got to
Um, moving on to reflection number three. If it'll come up here. This one I highlighted quite a bit more. This one actually ended up being three pages of writing. Um, so let's let's look what we got here. So while breaking apart race, ethnicity, culture, and nationality, we were able to see some of the small differences in them, but also why they were so closely related. Oftentimes, race and ethnicity are used synonymously, but as we split them apart in class, we were able to see what makes those two different from each other. Race is largely based on physical and behavioral similarities, whereas ethnicity focuses more on the geographical location that a person comes from. Ethnicity is, however, different from nationality. Nationality is based on where your legal citizenship resides. We also took time to explore white supremacy and what that is. Um, and so at first we were asked to state what our understanding of white supremacy is. Um, I put an answer and I put an ideology that white people are superior to those of any and all other races. Well, as I've learned during this class period, um, was that their their definition, because what they like to do is is change definitions to fit what they want and fit their narrative. So what they have is conscious and unconscious beliefs and practices that reproduce white advantage across sociopolitical, socioeconomic, and cultural contexts. Now, in my opinion, there shouldn't be this accusation of white or of somebody being a white supremacist if it's an unconscious belief or practice. If you're doing something consciously, then then you know that it's either good or bad. But if you're doing something unconsciously or even subconsciously, sure there's room to be held accountable and made aware of your actions, but I don't think that it's it's cause to start saying that a person is a white supremacist or even that they're showing tendencies toward being a white supremacist. Uh, there's just not basis. It's, it's ill-founded. Um, another thing that we talked about in, in that class period was that we should see color and not be colorblind towards people of different races. This is, I had quite a bit of a problem with this um, and I'll, I'll explain why in a second. I want to keep reading through um, this paragraph here and it, and it might speak to a little bit of what uh, I want to say about it. But So as a Christian, I've been brought up to treat everyone with love and respect. Uh, we're taught the Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. We are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Um, so if you're going to like there, there's no reason to treat someone differently based on their skin color. And if you're going to treat someone with love and respect, no matter what, then there's no need to see their skin color as anything different. We can't look at a black person and think in our minds, I have to treat him better because he's black. And that's what society is telling me. If we start seeing color nowadays, we would start treating black people with more respect than white people instead of just simply treating everybody with love and respect. I don't feel as seeing as though seeing color is like a bad thing. It's it's good that we have different skin colors 
uh, different experiences and, and other things that make us unique, but we can't let seeing color guilt us into treating one person differently due to their skin color. Um, another thing that I have wrong with this is that critical race theory teaches that race is a social construct, that it was made up. Um, I, I wrote about that in, in one of my other reflections a little bit. Um, and basically, toward, towards the end of that class period, we started talking about um, the chicken and the egg paradox. I'm, I'm sure most people know what that is. It's that simple question that's not so simple to answer. It, that's which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, in class, we weren't super concerned about whether it was the egg or the chicken, but instead we asked the question, which came first, race or racism? It turned out to be a pretty tricky question for us to answer initially. After a while, we all kind of came to a decision that the idea or feeling of racism came before race and race was created to justify the feeling um, and that white people felt a prejudice over black people. So they created races to try and make it seem better. I have a very hard time. Uh, agreeing with that because the class teaches that race is a social construct but then we go on to see that well we should we should see color right so it's a social construct and it's a bad thing but but we should keep doing it is, is what they're teaching so then basically they're from the very beginning they're contradicting themselves and if somebody's going to contradict themselves, especially if they're trying to teach you something, then you're going to go into it being more skeptical. Let's see. An another thing we have is these things called affinity groups. Um, basically, what they are is uh, splitting people into groups based on things that make them similar to each other. You know, I understand what's trying to be done, and I found that I do appreciate the the groups because I'm able to say what I think without fear of ridicule. However, at the same time, I feel as though these groups are racist and possibly even somewhat sexist too. Essentially, you're breaking up people into groups based on their skin color and sex. If you take my group, the group that I was put into, for example, it's three white males, all who happen to hold conservative viewpoints or mostly conservative viewpoints and then you have another group which is made up of black females now i understand that this might be beneficial and i know that being in a group with two other guys with similar viewpoints allows me to say what i truly want but i also think that in a way it's perpetuating this idea that segregation is okay um, and i'm gonna gonna talk about segregation stuff um a little more uh later on in the episode um but after all affinity groups are just splitting students up based on their skin color which if it was by a white person's uh, wishes that to do that to split themselves up from black people it'd be called racist but because it is asked for and thought up by black people to segregate themselves from white people it's not racist and it's acceptable 
Another thing that I completely hated about one of the class periods was that they were bashing the founding fathers. You know, I understand a lot of them didn't make the best decisions, but they were the men who started and built this amazing country that we live in today. The least you can do is be respectful. And I feel as though a lot of people would say that the only reason I'm defending the founding fathers or in this spe specific case of the book, um, Thomas Jefferson, is, is because he's white and I somehow benefit from the quote unquote systemic privileges because I'm white. I would like to state that there is that that is completely false. Again, I think that's a problem with seeing color or judging people based on their skin color is that we judge the founding fathers harsher because they were white. If one or even more of the founding fathers were black and owned slaves, which many black people, powerful black people owned slaves as well, there would be almost no ridicule of them. Now, of course, I, I may be way off, but from what I've seen, from what I've experienced, that that's how I feel feel about that that's that's the thoughts that i have on that so reflection four um yeah so this one this one i had a lot to say um so for starters someone in the class i don't remember who it was and it's not really that important um but said something along the lines of it's not about how it was meant to come off it's how it's taken by the receiving person or party I've talked about cancel culture and, um, you know, being worried about your language and stuff like that and what you're, what you're saying um, in a previous episode. But I, I touch on it again in this reflection. So if anything that's said can be offensive or ill-received based on how the person receiving it takes it, then how do we know what's allowed to be said or not? Yeah, allowed to be said or not. Uh, someone saying, I love you, has the possibility to be taken the wrong way by someone else. So then should we completely stop saying, I love you, simply because it could offend somebody? I don't think so. Any language, any language has the possibility to be taken as offensive. But if that's the case, then where do we draw the line? Where do we say this speech, these sayings, these phrases are acceptable but these ones over here, th those ones aren't. What then if somebody gets upset because we deem something not offensive, but they think it is, then we move that to an unacceptable speech? But where does that stop? I like the way that Ricky Gervais put it. He, he says, I see offense as the collateral damage of free speech. I hate the thought of a person's ideas being modified or even hushed because someone somewhere might not like to hear them. Outside of actually breaking the law, so this, I'm going to add something in here. We have the, the first, and, first Amendment is to protect our speech, but also to deem what is, is acceptable and not. So we already have that. But anyways, outside actually breaking the law or causing someone physical harm, hurting somebody's feelings is almost impossible to objectively quantify. And when I hear someone say, oh, he overstepped the mark, I always think, well, who drew the mark? 
And just because someone's offended doesn't mean that they're in the right. I don't think I could put it in a better way. He summed that up in a very, very good way. And I agree with everything that he said. We can't just be sensitive to everybody because they don't like what we said. Poor guys. Anyways, another thing that I found myself disagreeing was with was nearly everything that Robin D'Angelo said in an interview that we watched um, of her. So, for example, this this was one of her quotes. Safety out of a white person's mouth is illegitimate. Now, keep in mind, she's also a white person, so that's kind of funny. But basically, what I feel like she's saying is that a white person's feelings of being unsafe is illegitimate solely because of their skin color. I see this as as blatantly racist, honestly. If a word is going to be illegitimized simply because of someone's skin color, that is what should be considered racist. But since it's being done against a white person, then it's not racist. As soon as you flip the script, though, and say that it's not legitimate, when a black person says safety, then it's immediately considered racist. We, there's these double standards in America. You know, and I think if if Robin D'Angelo truly wants to try and change the way people think or the way that white people think, because honestly, that's that's I, I would say her target audience, um, that she has to be far less abrasive with the way that she talks to people and flat out accuses them. Nobody, everybody gets defensive when you start attacking them. And this goes for anybody that's trying to change anyone's viewpoint on anything. Uh, from from what I could perceive from the video that we watched, and I haven't read her book, White Fragility, or any of that trashy nonsense that she's written or said, but from the, the small clip of this interview that we watched, what I could perceive is that she feels as though she, she holds herself that like she's all high and mighty and and better than everybody else and i'm actually gonna end the episode this one um right here i'm gonna split up the critical race theory topic into two parts i have a lot more to cover um as you guys will see next week but i want to keep my episodes right around that that 20 minute mark and right now I'm at about 23 minutes so I'm going to end this here pick up again next week um yeah I look forward to sharing more about this next week and for you guys to listen so have a great week and I love you guys